Here we are again with another episode of the Making of Dharmaland podcast. And this one is about the bonus EP or special EP entitled Eden's Themes, The Music of an Enchanted Garden. And since we're only going to spend this one episode on it, there is a lot of ground for me to cover here. So I'm just going to jump right in. Themes 1 through 3, as it was titled by Abi on his original sheet music, was copyright stamped by the Library of Congress on December 12, 1960, and it was never demoed or recorded by Abi himself during his lifetime, same as the songs on the Dharmaland LP. So this EP constitutes its first and only recording so far. Themes was likely composed around the same time Eden's Island was being officially released by Delphi Records. It was originally slated by me for the Dharmaland album, or was on the original tracklist I gave to Ixtahuele prior to the recording sessions in 2019. But it was not recorded during any of the Dharmaland sessions, either in Los Angeles or Sweden in 2019. It was instead recorded in the fall of 2020 after the final mixes for Dharmaland were already complete and were being made ready for mastering. The reason why it was not recorded as part of Dharmaland is several pronged. So first, the band itself wanted originally to record only nine of the 13 songs on my track list and That meant that themes, as well as the songs King and Queen of Waters, New Anthem, and Mana were originally left on the cutting room floor after the LA sessions in summer 19. I lobbied hard, however, to get the latter three songs recorded for the album proper, and the band eventually relented and recorded them in Sweden with overdubs and vocals being recorded by me with the guest artists in New York City where I live and back in Los Angeles in the winter of 2019-2020. I guess I left off themes at that point and this is the second factor in why it wasn't included on Dharmaland because it felt like maybe just one too many songs even for a double album. Like nine felt kind of too short And I knew that King and Queen, New Anthem, and Mana were absolutely vital to the narrative arc of Dharmaland as I conceived it. Whereas themes by this late point, it sort of felt extraneous. I also felt at this stage in the game that it wasn't in any way related thematically to the rest of Dharmaland. It included no light motifs, for instance, as many of the other songs on Dharmaland did. And also, it had nothing of the landscape references either to California or to Abi's metaphysical slash imaginary landscape. And it was rather ostensibly about the romantic courtship and life that he lived with his wife, Anna Abes, whose maiden name was Annette Jacobson. And lastly, it felt like it would have been maybe one too many sweets on Dharmaland. We already had scenes one through three, The Lion and the Fox, and Dharmaland parts one and two at that point. 
Abby's other song cycles, including the Nature Boy Suite of the mid-1940s, Eden's Island, 1959-1960, and the Scripture of Golden Age project, which he worked on for the last 20 years of his life, all had recurring themes, either melodic or lyrical or both, but they never had as much as was originally proposed by me by suggesting these four mini-suites all on the same LP. So therefore, I felt okay leaving themes off of Dharmaland, off of the album. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. I guess the question as it stands now, as we're looking back on the themes EP, is how did it get resurrected and made into kind of its own standalone thing? So that's what this episode's going to try to answer. Without getting too granular and hopefully not airing out too much behind-the-scenes dirty laundry, we, being myself, John Weiner, my co-producer of the forthcoming Abi documentary, as well as Subliminal Sounds Records and Ixtahuele, had, kind of from the outset, agreed to issue a deluxe edition of Dharmaland alongside the regular release of the LP as part of a crowdsourcing campaign that would help John and I to raise funds for the Abbey film. That was where the idea for a bonus EP originally emanated from. That EP, however, as it was first conceived, was intended to be made up of like alternate mixes, demos, early takes, and perhaps some jam material the band recorded in LA using the Abbey handmade drums. Then in late summer 2020, Subliminal Sounds owner Stefan Carey informed John and myself that his distributor was not happy and perhaps even unwilling to release the non-deluxe Dharmaland, knowing that a deluxe version would be out there and thinking that like anyone willing to purchase a vinyl copy of the album would not want the regular edition when a deluxe was available. Therefore, the stores in theory were not going to stock it. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, I mean, and it didn't play out that way, but that was the thinking. So John and I were at this point crestfallen, especially as the alternative now was to release the bonus EP as a separate thing. And we felt there was no way people would shell out the kind of money we needed to mark it up for just an EP of alternate mixes and other bric-a-brac. I should also note that I myself am not really a crowdsourcing person. I suppose I came of age in the period of traditional fundraising for films, albums, books, exhibitions, etc. and was pretty leery about crowdsourcing from the beginning. So throw out an inferior product and I was feeling pretty morose about our prospects at this point. So then I came up with the idea to go back and ask for a compromise to basically have Ixta pull themes off the cutting room floor and record it as a standalone for the crowdsourcing, i.e. as a or the bonus EP. Now at this point everyone involved with Dharmaland was quite burned out and the album had taken almost two years to make from fall 2018 when we all agreed to work on it till August 2020 give or take when the final mixes were approved 
So no one really wanted to jump back in at that point for another round of recordings. But alas, a compromise or an agreement was finally struck in September or October 2020, smack in the middle of the pandemic. And the agreement was for Ixta to go back into the studio and record themes. The one provo this time around was that they get to record it the way they want to record it with no oversight from myself. <laughs> so the first mixes came back about a month after this agreement, during which time I had finished up the packaging for the Dharmaland album. I wrote the liner notes and art directed the front and back covers and all the interior credits and design and everything there. And my first thought when I heard themes one through three as recorded by Ixta was that it was definitely more Ixta Huele does Eden Abes than Dharmaland, which in the case of the latter, I thought of more as an Abi album or an Abi statement. Maybe not in the sense that it was an imitation of Abi or an attempt to make the album he would have made in 1962, 1963 or to sound exactly like him, but rather to make something that was consistent with and felt the way he would create a large-scale piece. So it was like more in the spirit than in exact detail. And themes, my only problem with the first mixes was that they felt like three very different songs without much of anything that gave them a sense of being a coherent piece or thematically linked song suite or whatever. So against our original agreement, some changes were suggested by me and eventually made, and these were basically overdubs that made the songs cohere a little more and that also had some basis in vintage Abbey recordings from his own lifetime. Now, I've said it previously that pastiching Abbey was not a part of the mission of these sessions and of the Dharmaland sessions in general, and that's true, but there was something on all of them, both Dharmaland and Themes, which referenced at least one archival Abbey recording, even if it was just like the drum track or s some sort of general outline, even if it wasn't the dominant factor. And in the case of the minor overdubs for Themes following the initial mixes, I turn to several songs that sort of felt close either in composition or in spirit to the three parts of themes. So like given that themes was a mini suite about Abby and his wife Anna, I wanted the first part or theme one to reference another Abby ode to his wife. And the one that immediately sprung to mind was the 1958 single by Abby on Keen Records entitled Abby Kasabi. And it was sung by a teen singer named Marty Barris, she being a regular of the Howdy Doody show in the 1950s. But it was lyrically about Abby's family unit. So Abby Kasabi, Anna Banana, Zomba Bambino makes three from the lyrics was basically about himself, his wife Anna, and their only child, Zoma. So this element of putting his autobiography and especially his romantic and familial life into pop songs that were aimed at public consumption 
always struck me as having kind of a distinct likeness to the later relationship and references in the music of John Lennon and Yoko Ono. So I thought that was something that was kind of neat about Abby. And another reference to Beatles, Beach Boys, mid to late 60s pop and counterculture music that was already present in Abby's music in the 50s and early 60s. Abby, in fact, composed over 25 songs about Anna and about their relationship between 46 and 1995 when he died, including an 11-part suite titled The Song of Eden and Anna, which was copyrighted in 1964-65 and included rewrites of many of the songs he wrote first in the Dharmaland era. So theme one on the Eden's Themes EP was sort of conceptually based in Abi Kasabi and the heavy tambourines for example about two-thirds of the way through were also somewhat of a reference to the song Eden's Cove from Eden's Island which had a strong gypsy flavor during its chorus. I kind of felt that that gypsy flavor also matched the lyrics from Abi Kasabi about his family where he refers to them as gypsies of land and sea. I've always thought of theme one as being about the meeting and courtship of Eden and Anna, these two gypsy wanderers and soulmates, and how their love allowed them to find or manifest their own secret garden or kind of prelapsarian Eden as it were. They basically invented the world together that they wanted to live in in the 1940s and 50s and Themes seems to want to capture that. As a side note, we found last year in 2021 during our research for the Abi documentary the original piece of paper that Abi wrote his name and phone number on and gave to Anna through the window of a bus at Union Station in downtown LA. He, as legend has it, saw her and fell under her spell immediately and like ran up and gave her his contact info and she apparently kept this little slip of paper even writing a note on the back that certified when and where Abby had given it to her. So I really like to think that theme one is somehow related to that part of their journey. The bass, which is a double stand-up bass played by Anders Lunchberg of Ixtahuele, plays a really lovely groove which toggles between the drums and the piano and it's mixed a little low for my taste but you feel it as the groove rolls out and the melodic instruments kick in and harmonize. Theme two is kind of more or less what I think of as the wedding section of the Eden Anna romance. It's done in what might be thought of as a kind of hotel lounge style. The first mix of theme two was actually too schmaltzy for my taste. It featured just the male vocalist, which is Carl Turrison Burnahead, a former member of Ixtahuele who came back for the themes EP. He played bamboo flute on theme 
one and theme three as well. So the idea to add Coralie Clement as a second vocalist came at my behest after the first mix and it felt for one like the whole cycle or ode to Abby's wife was becoming a bit male dominated and so as an alternative it seemed like a cool idea to have Carl as Abby sing the verse to Anna the first time in the song and then Coralie as Anna to sing the verse to Abby the second time around and they essentially sing the words to each other almost like speaking their vowels. I got into Coralie as an artist who she's a contemporary neo yeah singer from Paris and I found out about her in the mid 2000s I think when her first CD came out and always wanted to work with her in some way so I guess this was my chance. The other reason why I felt like this sort of worked well as a male-female duet is because structurally theme two reminded me a bit of Abby's 1963 song Monterey which also featured a male-female duet by the singers John Harris and Myrna Khan. So once I had the idea to use Monterey as kind of the template then it felt right to also conscript a cool jazz style woodwind player who could do a flute or saxophone solo like the great Paul Horn had on Monterey in 63 and I knew Dimitri Bayski from back in the 90s when he lived in New York City and led a trio at this little midtown eatery in Manhattan called Bone Soup. Both Dimitri and Coralie overdubbed their parts on Theme 2 in Paris. Dimitri lives there now during the height of the shutdowns in fall 2020 and getting studio time was not that easy and they kind of had to nail it the first time around. Dimitri definitely nailed his parts but Coralie struggled with the vocals. The band when they heard what she had laid down didn't actually love it but we eventually agreed to auto-tune a few of the off-pitch notes and just go with it and I personally love it because I think it adds a sophistication that simply was not present in the first mix which featured only Carl on vocals which again to me it sounded like a song you'd hear at like a hotel on Waikiki Beach or something and now it sounds to me at least like it could be it could be a single or at least a song in some <laughs> like high-end te tequila commercial I'm not being very diplomatic at this point, but I should also point out that I love Henrik Magnusson's piano on Theme 2. It's sort of reminiscent of the laid-back, minimal, Brubeck-like groove he played on the second half of New Anthem from Darmalan. That's sort of his specialty, cool jazz piano. Theme three is something of a eulogy from Abby to Anna. And in case anyone listening to this didn't know it already, Anna had contracted bone cancer around the time themes one through three was composed. And she ultimately lost her battle in August 1963 at the age of 44. Abby obviously didn't know she was going to die when he wrote theme three in December 1960. but he might have had a premonition. We don't really know how sick she was when she was first diagnosed. 
he did seem in letters to friends and family from that period quite concerned and Anna did as well in the many postcards she wrote to her brother Al between 1960 and 63 where she pretty much recounts her daily health routine including what, which vegetable she ate and what she was doing in her garden and also how her doctor was interpreting the various tests she was undergoing. And I should probably point out that Abby even took a job around this time, or according to a, a Las Vegas newspaper from early 1961, just a month or so after Themes was copyrighted, he was leading a band at the New Frontier Hotel and Casino in Vegas in a show entitled Holiday in Tahiti. And I've never seen any video or set list or even a photo of this stage review or anything with Abby in it or anything related at all really other than that one deuce clipping but I get the feeling that he took this gig for the money and to help his wife and family and it's maybe part of the reason why he did never try to record or pitch the Dharmaland songs in that period I'm not putting it down I actually would love to hear Abby lead a band doing a, a musical variety review called Holiday in Tahiti. I just, just knowing what a great exotic artist he was and how he was sort of under-recorded in the genre compared to like Martin Denny and Arthur Lyman and Gene Rains and whatnot. It just would be amazing to have anything more that Abby did in that milieu or in that genre from that period. But anyway, we know that he was incredibly fertile, as I've said before, as a songwriter between 1960 and 63, i.e. during his wife's illness. But I've only found one actual recording or demo from that era, so it's almost certainly that he kind of closed up shop, professionally speaking, as a recording artist so he could concentrate on his wife's illness. And you get this sense as well I think in the very sensitive arrangement and performance of Theme 3 by Ixtahuele. It actually came as a total shock to me when I first heard it in fall 2020 when the mix came back. It's done in a kind of Scandinavian or Celtic folk style, at least at the beginning. The fiddle or viola is played by Sarah Unabak, who also played perfect viola on new anthem on Dharmaland, and who i believe is matthias unabak of ixtahule sister don't quote me on that abby i don't think ever recorded with or had any of his original songs besides like covers of nature boy done by actual europeans and especially not in such an unabashed European folk style as Theme 3. So in a way, Ixta kind of took his music here, quote unquote, over land and sea, as in the lyrics of Nature Boy, and I think that's really cool. Just prior to Theme 3 shifting from the Scandinavian folk sound in the first half, or first third of the song, this flute trill comes in via Henrik Magnusson, who plays some like eighth or sixteen notes in the style Abby had on many of his songs in the 60s and 70s with his bamboo flute. This then leads into an almost kind of like prog rock middle section where Johann 
Jarmelson's drums sound like they're like climbing a tall peak or building a tower using music. And then Henrik's flute trills are played kind of off of Carl Turris and Bernahad's bamboo flute flutters. And the whole thing here just feels wild and glorious. And it shows just how much these guys really do breathe music. This is just such an incredibly epic song and and captures in an almost unfathomable way the buildup of emotion as Anna is slipping away from Abi. The outro is a melody that Abi himself later recycled for a 1966 tune he wrote entitled Siddhartha and I love how Ixta plays this last one-third of the song almost like an early Genesis recording. They had only the basic melody by Abi as written on the original lead sheet from 1960 and it seems to me like they used the synth lead here very minimally and upfront in the mix almost as if to let you know exactly what notes Abi had written on the page with everything else in the background kind of perfectly calibrated and wonderfully balanced. I really can't say enough good things about this recording. It's so different and unique from anything else in the Abbey Canon, and I feel very fortunate to have it out in the world and for whatever part I played in making or allowing that to happen. As to the packaging, let me just take a few minutes to explain that whole thing and maybe then clarify why this little gem of a record was such a seemingly purposeful rarity. So the cover of the EP was photographed by the highly regarded Tiki historian Sven Kirsten, who is also a successful cinematographer of German films and television. And it was shot at the meditation ashram of the late Indian Hindu guru Paramahansa Yogananda called Lake Shrine, which is located on the west side of Los Angeles. And Abhi was a follower of Yogananda in the 1940s and 50s, and the photo of him on the cover of Eden's Island in 1960 was actually taken at Lake Shrine as well. The cover of Dharmalan was also supposed to be taken there originally, as the idea of us making Dharmalan was always to create the follow-up to Eden's Island, or the lost, what would have been sort of the lost follow-up. And that seemed to somehow mean, you know, referencing Eden's Island in some way, shape, or form. And at some point, I guess it just felt wrong or felt somehow like Eden's Island and Lake Shrine were synonymous and that Dharmaland, the imaginary realm, was something separate or something different. It just didn't feel like it was related as a landscape to Eden's Island. So I racked my brain for a while about this and finally it just hit me, aha! Tahunga Canyon, northeast of Los Angeles. So Abi lived there in the outdoors with his family during the period the Dharmaland songs were all written. And the band and guest artists on the album also held a jam session in that exact area where the Abezes lived just before they went in and had their first recording session. So then it became Tahunga was the place where Dharmaland, this metaphysical landscape, was kind of discovered by Abi in his creative mind or 
where he opened the gates of Dharmaland was that particular landscape. And then it, when it came time to put the themes package together, I felt strongly that it should live somewhere in between Eden's Island and Dharmaland. And so it made sense that themes would still be set at Lake Shrine, but then instead of calling it just themes, as it was written on the lead sheet, I had this idea to call it Eden's Themes, colon, the music of an enchanted garden, as another kind of subtle reference to Eden's Island, which has a subtitle of the music of an enchanted isle. So that's how all that all happens. But, of course, Eden's Themes is not the actual title, as I said, on Abi's original lead sheet. It was just my attempt to summarize the various links between it and Eden's Island and Dharmaland and the Yogananda Ashram in a way that was subtle yet sound in kind of its overall conception. I don't know if that makes sense. On the back cover, the songs are all accurately titled as themes one, two, and three, and that's how they were written by Abi on his lead sheets. Anyway, this leads me to the final point about the EP, and that is <laughs> its availability and pricing. Hopefully everyone can now understand a little bit better why this has not been distributed in the, in the traditional sense, or at all really, outside of as a crowdfunding perk for the Abbey documentary. So the price tag has come down a little bit more recently, but I know it's still expensive for a 20-minute EP. That being said, it does continue to go towards production costs for the film, which John and I are hoping to complete before the this time next year. Hopefully after that happens, myself and John and the band and the record label can all agree to lift the lid on themes and put it out on the various streaming platforms and have vinyls for sale in regular stores and whatnot, so we'll see. In the meantime, Themes remains available on our website, and I hope this podcast has gone some way towards explaining how it came about and the various reasons for its rarity in the marketplace. And I hope also I've enriched in some way your future listening to it. So with that, I'm going to sign off and hopefully everyone will stay tuned next week for our 15th and final episode of this podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.